If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Hello out there. Welcome to episode 91 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, we talk with J.P. Gilbo, president of Community Brands. Before we get to the interview, we want to thank your membership, the podcast sponsor for the third quarter of 2017. Your membership's learning management system is specifically designed for professional education with a highly flexible and intuitive system that customizes the learning experience. Your membership's LMS seamlessly integrates with key systems to manage all of your educational content formats in one central location while providing powerful tools to create and deliver assessments, evaluations, and learning communities. You can find out more about your membership at yourmembership.com. For our resource for this episode, we want to highlight our complimentary Association Learning Plus Technology Report. Based on a survey of a broad range of trade and professional associations, Association Learning Plus Technology provides the most comprehensive insights currently available on the use of technology to enhance and enable education in the association sector. You can access it for free by going to tagoras.com slash learntech. So Jeff, I know that JP has played a leading role in some pretty significant changes in the nonprofit technology market of late. Um, I mentioned at the beginning that he's the president of Community Brands, and Community Brands is a company that was recently formed as the new face of multiple companies that used to compete with each other. So I'm guessing you must have talked about where things stand with bringing those companies together. We definitely talked about that. It's kind of the the elephant in the room at at this point. Community Brands comprises, so far, Abila, Aptify, Nimble User, and your membership, where JP was CEO and which had already acquired a number of other companies prior to this move. So, you know, we definitely wanted to talk about uh, how it's going with connecting the dots between those various brands and then, you know, also looking ahead to where things are, are going with the companies together. But we didn't want to focus just you know purely on community brands. Uh, wanted to get into a conversation about just uh, where technology is now and how organizations should potentially be thinking differently about it. You know, differently from how they did even as little as three, four, five years ago. So we talked about that, and then of course, you know, where learning fits into the picture, not just from a te- technology standpoint, but uh, but also wanted to get JP's broader views on on learning and sort of the role that he sees organizations playing. So. JP is a very bright guy, very articulate guy. Um, I learned a lot in the conversation, and I'm sure that uh, listeners are going to learn a lot as well. Well, great. Let's get to the interview with JP Gilbo. Hello, this is Jeff Cobb, and joining me for this episode of Leading Learning is J.P. Gilbo, president of Community Brands. And for those not familiar with it, Community Brands is the company recently formed to unite a number of major brands in the association space, including your membership, Abila, and Aptify, and Nimble User more recently. And we'll certainly talk about how the uniting of all these different brands is going and the implications for customers and others, but first... Welcome to the show, JP. Thank you, Jeff. Happy to be here. Well, I know that uh, you have to be a very busy man these days with everything that's going on with uh, putting these different companies together and you know making community brands a, a reality. Um, to start off with, I mean, maybe you'd be willing just to give us a, a status update on on how that's going. You know, what 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 is going on now with putting all of those pieces together? 
Yeah, I, I think as we continue to put things together, um, the integration or bringing together of the companies and the culture, I think most importantly, is going rather rather well. Um, the companies have taken a look at the the space, as I've shared about the market. We we know that these companies represented not only associations but nonprofits uh, and organizing groups, even in government and education, and so. Um, we have an opportunity to continue to look at the the broadening of a market and uh, innovate and bring technology in a niche way to each of those types of sectors. And the team's been going through more of a market analysis, uh, and, and if, I think they've, they've come together rather well at this point. Um, we've had a great uh, last three months in terms of we continue to see strong growth in acquisition. In fact, uh, we, we anticipate anticipated a little bit of a slowdown uh, as people took a breath and understood the meaning. But but frankly, I think it's gone really well in which organizations continue to push forward in their technology decisions and and do that with the community brands companies. And so I'd be interested to know you're obviously leading all of this or, you know, the, I guess the, the top leader of uh, everything that's going on. What have you found most challenging about this from the perspective of a leader? And uh, maybe at the same time, you know, what have you found most, most surprising? Yeah, I, I, I think most challenging is in this is, is really the perception of, what mergers and acquisitions and, and this type of a M&A process tends to yield or mm-hmm. how we used to know it. Um, and, and so we're, we're battling or constantly educating on how diversified brands can operate within a portfolio structure and gain advantages at which they're developing for each of their markets. And so that's, it's been more of an external education process. And I think that's, that's the piece we're still working hard at less internally. We're trying to work with the community of associations and nonprofits and technologists to start to really help rewrite what traditionally was M&A at which expenses were taking out of organizations at which uh, brands collapsed and tell a different story and ultimately bring a different set of experiences um, to the market. So I, I would say that that's the challenge. I think I anticipate that to be a continued challenge that we're working on and in educating the market on. Uh, but, but secondly, you know, to your, to your question of, you know, what what's been the surprise? Um, you know, I don't know if it's really a new surprise or just a, a deepening learning and understanding that you know, as I go kind of company to company and customer set to customer set, what seems to come back to us often is uh, the complexity of business models that associations and nonprofits have. And when mm-hmm. I say business model, I really mean business processes. And the desire of those business processes to um, really drive customization and customization of software that when we think about what transformation requires, it requires tech companies and IT departments to move from reactive to being much more proactive and much more nimble. And so, you know, I think it's, it, it, it's going to be a journey of, of how to think about the the balance between customization and what I would call kind of 
configuration ability to not lock organizations in. But there's a, there's still a, a legacy set of technology and code that sits there, and there's a lot of customization uh, that organizations require. And serving them both and uh, meeting that is going to be, you know, incumbent on us and the market as we go forward. Right. I imagine that has to be an enormous amount to, to try to sift through. And to go back to what you were saying um, about sort of the, the perspective that people tend to have on merger and acquisition, M&A uh, type activity, um, I mean, I think I can certainly see why you'd be encountering that. I don't think there tends to be a, a terribly positive view towards it. You know, you're just putting big things together. I think a lot of people perceive that as, okay, we're going to be, you know, cutting a lot of jobs, cutting a lot of expenses, you know, trying to extract really financial value. I mean, from your perspective, um, I mean, how how else are you going to extract value? And, and maybe another way to put that is that, uh, you know, you've brought all these different pieces together. What's your vision now for producing a whole that's greater than the sum of the parts? Yeah, I think, I, I think one, it, it was incumbent on an organization or a market strategy to bring the parts together. Um, that what I kind of look back on the, the age of technology and, and, and frankly, in the whole nonprofit and cause market, we're just fundamentally coming to the understanding of the value that technology can bring and what it takes to create that value. Um, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, a great percentage of this world still lives under $2 a day mm. income and the cause market has such a dramatic effect on it. And when I think about, you know, the opportunity for us to create more value. Um, I think about it as creating more value for our customers. So today we have a, you know, if, if you look across any one of these association or nonprofit co- companies, not, you know, not one of them probably had more than a thousand or 2000 customers. And as single product companies uh, with a fragmented market, really hard to grow and and grow when I say not just about making money, but more importantly, how you make that money and put it back in mm-hmm. to innovation and new products. And so a new business model or, or a, a, what I would think about is sometimes a traditional business model where greater market share leads to more innovation. And we, we see this now as not, you know, we're not a single product company anymore. Your membership, when I let it uh, since 2012, emerged into a multi-product company. And we weren't just extracting value based upon acquiring new customers, but we were creating more value for the customers we had with other products. And I see that as the future. So, you know, I, I think, yes, the software technologies we have today uh, will lead to future value. But I also think, you know, associations and nonprofits are looking for organizations to help them with future product. Um, we do that. We do this a lot in the learning and education space where we are partnering with organizations like the, uh, like ACC and designing education programs that create, uh, more revenue, more value for their members and sharing that. And I think that's what the association industry is looking for in partnerships. It's really help us understand how to create more value and be a partner in doing it. And I think that's how we long-term create more value in this company. Right, right. And ACC, uh, American College of Cardiology, is that correct? Yes. Great. And so, I mean, to 
to maybe continue on your point there a little bit, you know, you're talking about the, the future, creating value in, in the future. I mean, when you look out three to five years, um, and I know you're fond of the word transformation, what, what, has, what has changed dramatically? What, what has transformed that, you know, community brands has been a catalyst for? And to the extent you can, just knowing who our listeners are, I mean, thinking specifically of, of learning and how learning uh, and education are being supported across the, the sector you serve. What does that look like three to five years out, and what's your role in it? Yeah, uh, good question. Let me, let me start with when I talk about transformation, what, what I think about it is, is it really is driven from a business and it's driven from a market. And it doesn't mean just technology change. It means a complete change to things like the business rules, the processes, and, and decisions like what gets automated and what doesn't. Um, and probably most importantly, the culture. Mm. Um, all of those components are, are, are key to transformation. And I'll, I'll keep you, I'll give you an example that I think maybe all of us read about just recently, and then I'll bring this into the, the association space. But think about JetBlue's recent decision to do away with the boarding pass process, the identification process, through the use of facial recognition, Hmm. a test at which to board an airplane, to get your boarding pass, they're going to use uh, facial recognition technology and test the market's reaction to it, uh, the security of it. But that's transformational, and that's a big big fundamental changes in both the use of technology and decisions around what business processes are getting automated. And then the culture, the culture we as airline consumers being able to accept it and want to do that, as well as internal employees and government policy, et cetera. So that's what I mean by transformation. And when I think about the education space, um, the whole uh, virtual reality, augmented reality space is a space that I know some organizations are already working on today. Right. But tomorrow becomes fundamentally more tra- transformative, not just in the, the aspect of how education is getting delivered, but ultimately the other coupling, uh, coupling things like career opportunity, specialist uh, identification, making that information around who's certified in a very micro-technical or advanced procedural way available to consumers that may have a medical need and being able to find them in a very easy, simple way or digitally connected to them in a way that's matching either a patient and healthcare provider or healthcare or, or medical professional to a potential career or opportunity. Yeah, definitely. We're we're very bullish on you know what's uh, what's going to be possible, what's going to happen with virtual reality in the coming years. I think uh, people are only starting to barely wake up to what's already possible. I mean, there's already a, a great deal, even with the, you know using a mobile phone uh, with what you can do with uh, virtual reality. It's really it's uh, pretty pretty amazing on on many levels, and it, that may I think uh, represent a good good segue into my next question because. I mean, all of this really, I think, requires a fairly different mindset around technology. And, uh, you know, I'm wondering if, if you're talking to 
a board of directors is at an organization. Uh, this is probably something you, you do from time to time. I mean, what, what would you tell them that they need to, to change in how they're thinking about technology? I mean, what's fundamentally different about how organizations need to be thinking about technology now as opposed to even, you know, five years ago? Yeah, I, I think the thing that I would, I would talk about and I, I most often talk about, I talk about it with our internal teams, I talk about it with boards and external. Think about the person that is going to experience your product. Think about the person that is going to experience uh, your education, uh, your system. Um, what is it they feel? Uh, how do you want them to emotionally react? And what processes or how does that end-to-end experience get laid out in a way that doesn't put barriers in front of the intended outcome? Mm. I often find that we still today don't often start with the experience and the outcome of our consumer at, at, at the first and foremost point of discussion. And it's that that I think is the transformative change to the culture when we can start talking about the experiences in mass groups and personalized ways we want to have as an outcome. Technology will be better enabled and implemented to deliver on that. Because I've often found it's usually not technology that becomes the barrier. It's the design of the experience. Right. Or we didn't put that thought in at the forefront and we come, it comes secondary to the technology. And so that would be my advice is, number one, always start with the experience and the emotion you want that consumer to have. And I like, yeah, like you said, both experience and emotion, because I think there's a, there's a lot of frustration that goes on out there in terms of uh, people trying to make use of you know, different types of technology for different needs in, the, in their life. And uh, often the emotions that are experienced are not positive ones. So, yeah, the, it's. You know, it's one of my one of my design principles that I often talk about is is a concept called surprise and delight, mm. and and delight is this positive emotional response to something unexpected, and if an organization can put that in their DNA, in terms of whatever product or experience, whether it's onboarding an employee, whether it's a course, where can you design one or two surprises? in the experience that was, was not, it was something not expected because that is those unexpected positive moments create the goodwill, create the, the, the emotion, uh, and really create the word of mouth for your program. Right. Right. That's an excellent point. And in your experience, I mean, organizations that get that, um, you know, and that are, really truly successful in their use of technology and, and, and leveraging it to really, you know, increase value to whoever they're, they're serving. I mean, what's different about those organizations? I mean, why do they get that? Why do they end up being successful? Because I mean, a lot of organizations will implement technology and never really get where they expected to, to go with it. Yeah. You know, I think, I, I think one of the things I've, I've seen, more tradition, you know, happen now in more traditional fashion is we're seeing more product managers Mm. uh, become leaders in businesses and and organizations. I think people that have owned products uh, or designed products 
tend to understand uh, what they want from a user's experience, what they want that person to achieve or do. And I think the, the organizations that implement technology well uh, are led in that way. They're led with the user and the experience of, of someone that's receiving it in mind. I also think they don't jump into looking at technology as a cost, or, um, but rather as a way in which what is it we're automating? How much value is placed on that automation? Mm. So often I see technology come down to a price tag uh, rather than going through those series of questions of what was the automation value created? What was the experience worth that we just enabled versus looking at it as a cost? And I think really good organizations that implement uh, implement well, purchase well, they have a good understanding of their user and they have a very good understanding of the business process uh, and they look at the return on automation and how much efficiency is created in their organization. Right. And, uh, and you mentioned in there too that, uh, you know, somebody's leading that or maybe multiple somebody's, but there's a, there's a sense of leadership uh, around that, uh, that they, you really are trying to get somewhere with, with what you're doing. Yeah. And I, I do find that, you know, the good one, the really good or differentiating ones, I probably shouldn't say good, but what differentiates, I think the standouts is there is a person that generally sits with the board that's looking at technology from a strategy perspective mm. versus a product purchase perspective. Um, I've always believed that, that technology is an enabler uh, to the strategy and outcome. And it's best if there's a person looking overarching uh, across the committees, across membership, across communication, across education. If there's somebody with a big picture lens of how the digital environment needs to come together, that that in place is is really separating organizations in terms of the experience they get from their tech. Right, right. And we are starting to see more positions like that in organizations, it seems like, where, where somebody is playing that role. Still not enough, but, uh, but certainly there are signs of it. I mean, when you, yep. your, yeah, when, when, when you yourself sort of you know, think about the, the strategic possibilities, the, you know, the, the vision you have for, I mean, really how lives can be changed um, uh, positively. I mean, what are, what are some of the technology trends that have you most excited right now and, and why? Um, you know, so I think um, I, I, I mentioned earlier virtual and augmented reality. Right. I, I think is just an incredible opportunity. I think as lifelong learners, uh, uh, you know, one of the things I've seen out of lifelong learning people uh, and even myself is we tend to visualize. Hmm. We visualize either the experience, we visualize the outcome, or we visualize the goal and 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 what happens at achievement of that goal. And this whole virtual reality is bringing visualization to the forefront. Um, and the whole augmented reality piece is really giving us an opportunity to, you know, interact with our environment at which makes making mistakes really, really safe uh, in ways that, you know, the way we had to learn sometimes was, was really through trial and error and sometimes at cost. Um, in virtual and augmented reality, that is, that is going. The, the risk of a mistake is being diminished greatly, and that gives 
really an exponential way in which people can uh, be more successful at what they're doing. Um, you know, the other piece is, I, I think, matching. Um, I think the, date, the use of both internal data, data that organizations own about their members, about uh, particular parts of the education that, that worked or didn't work, um, about people in terms of, you know, what is it they're capable of learning, um, mm-hmm. who they are as a person, and what, what organizations or opportunities do they match up to in the future? The idea of predictability and data modeling to place people, uh, identify talent, and connect them with opportunity. Um, and I don't just mean that domestically, but I mean globally, um, is going to present a, a really profound change, I think, in the workforce over the next kind of 15 to 20 years. Right, yeah. And I know, I mean, you've got the the job board component of what you do there, community brands and the connection with the learning component, the connection with the, you know, member or customer relationship management component. I mean, really you're, you've kind of got all the parts of that picture really to, to, to help people if I'm not mistaken. Is that a, a, a correct perspective? Yeah, that that's right. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, we, we have the learning management and the career center and the community um, and it's understanding and bringing that data together, uh, married with what the hiring market is doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one, one of the things I think is really just interesting, the concept of millennials and the fact that they'll actually change, uh, their career seven times, um, you know, not jobs seven times, but literally jump profession to profession seven times over right. their lifetime. And, you know, I, I, I think as we get a better sense, as associations get a better sense of where their members move to, which profession they, tr- they, they change to, I think there's going to be real kind of partnership opportunities that, that those associations can have with the hire, hiring market um, and really the education market. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think you're getting at this a little bit in, in what you've been saying, but uh, I mean, we've been talking about sort of supporting that individual, the individual learner, somebody developing through their, their career or their job. But I, I'm always interested in this um, question about the responsibility that organizations have when it comes to, I mean, really ensuring that the whole field or, or industry or community that they serve uh, is, is learning and, and growing and evolving I mean, what's, what's your perspective on that? I mean, is that, is that a responsibility that organizations have that they really should be sort of helping to, I guess, raise the bar, float the boats higher across the, the whole community that they're serving? Well, I think, I think by nature, if, if you mean organizations as associations, I think we, we are all in our particular field for the passion of the field. Mm-hmm. We're the experts in it. And so I think by nature, uh, associations have a drive to promote and grow and educate the profession. And, you know, I, I, I think about, the, you know, I, I, I am seeing this trend by which participation is episodic. Uh, we, as, we as life experiencing individuals are navigating a very complex world today what, by which we wake up tomorrow and something can fundamentally be different and in, for, for us as organizations, we have to be out in front of 
what our consumer or member uh, or future member is is going to experience. And I think that is an obligation for organizations that are serving a field or a group, and that is to recognize potentially when is disruption mm-hmm. about to occur? When is a job about to become automated? Um, right. You know, by, t- by 2028, um, there will be some 30, 30 million positions that aren't even created on a map today. Um, and, and certainly those positions are going to be necessary, but there will others be others that are automated. And so how, as an organization, are we promoting learning and education to, to really kind of grow and make sure every individual is successful? Yeah, it seems like organizations and organizational leaders just have to be, you know, better than ever before it, um, I mean, essentially sort of scenario planning out into the future. If these possible changes happen, what are the implications? And then what does that mean for how we guide and lead and educate people for, for going forward? So definitely an exciting and very challenging time to be a, uh, an association leader. Yeah. So, so, so speaking of, you know, staying prepared for the, uh, the future, uh, we always like to ask anybody who's on the, the show about their own lifelong learning habits and, and practices. So, I mean, what are some of the key things that you do to, you know, keep the, the saw sharp and make sure you're prepared for the future? Uh, good, good question. I, you know, I, you know, so I, I went to school, uh, many, many moons and years ago. You and me both. Um, and, and one of my passions, uh, was just learning. Um, I could take every college course I could possibly take. And if I could financially, I'd just stay in college and take courses all day. Um, but I, but I think, you know, it does start with all of us as individuals recognizing that we have to accept there's going to be something new or more to learn. There's got to be this mindset, um, that you're always in a learning mode and, it's okay to fail. Um, I personally accept failure. I, I don't accept failure as the outcome. I embrace failure from a way in which I can be reflective. I can be reflective and learn from it. And personally, I enjoy it. But in terms of the practices, um, you know, I, I try and stretch my, my learning out uh, over longer periods of time. Um, more frequently, but longer periods of time. And I shorten the time at which I spend, whether it's reading or listening uh, or talking, um, I shorten those, those, those times so that I don't get bored, but I actually try and do it more frequently. And then, you know, I mentioned this earlier, I'm a visual person. So I try and, you know, visualize and draw and ask people to draw. Um, and I use technology. Um, there are some key things that I do be it LinkedIn, be it Twitter, be it uh, podcast following, um, I identify people either that I'm really interested in from a topic perspective or people that have really different, unique views and experiences, and I follow them. Mm. Um, and I'll follow them online, and I'll, I'll, I'll set some time aside each night or, or on a weekend to just kind of read what were their thoughts or what were they sharing uh, through, through the course of a week or a month. And then, um, you know, the last, last piece I often talk about both to our teams and to others is seek, seek people out 
that are fundamentally different. I remember we were going through a brand change uh, in the company prior, and rather than asking everybody that had been part of, you know, kind of the experience, I, I asked a teenager Interesting. Uh, to, to give me their thoughts on five different versions. And, you know, I really learned something from that conversation and what they saw. So, you know, sometimes I like, I like to get outside of the people I traditionally uh, interact with and go to people of a different generation or, or folks from a different country or, you know, really kind of people with diverse perspectives or experiences in life, because I think they can educate you on something you don't see. That's great. That's great. Yeah, I, I know that, uh, you know, oftentimes just asking my, my 10-year-old or my 6-year-old can yield some uh, very interesting perspectives on things that are actually quite useful. So definitely breaking out yeah. of the, uh, the traditional zone. Well, great. Well, Yeah, I just, go ahead. I just find it, it, it that people are, I find that people are so, you know, engaging and we're going to always need to collaborate. And I think that's technology is going to make, make that easier and faster for us. Um, but kind of embracing this, this, this technology component as a practice of learning, I think is really important. And, you know, I've enjoyed watching kind of the Khan academies that, mm-hmm. that have changed kind of the way education is happening. The Udemy's that are, are, you know, becoming these massive online open courses. And, and I love just taking those and, you know, watching them for 15 minutes on a, you know, uh, on a subway, if you're traveling, um, it's great. I used to do that in the Bay area a lot and use my kind of what I call just in my moment time, uh, to, to learn and, you know, take something up that I'm interested in. That's great. Yeah, I do. I do the same thing quite often. Well, JP, thanks so much. Uh, it's been a, a great conversation and, uh, really appreciate your taking the time to, to be on leading learning. Great. I appreciate it, Jeff. Thank you. That wraps up the interview with J.P. Gilbo. As we're exiting, we want to say thanks to your membership. You can find out more about your membership and all it offers at yourmembership.com. To get show notes for this episode, just go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 91. While you're there, you'll also see the various options for subscribing to the podcast. And if you're getting value out of Leading Learning, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe. We would also be grateful if you would take just a minute and give us a rating on iTunes. To do that, go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. We really appreciate hearing from you. It also helps others find the podcast. Finally, consider telling others about the podcast. You can send out a tweet simply by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing, just pick another social network of your preference and spread the good word. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.